So we're in Isaiah chapter 12, if you'd like to open up there. I've entitled this message, Living Waters, Living Waters, Isaiah chapter 12. And we'll just read the six verses, since it's only six verses here, a short chapter. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Now we notice here this is um, the last part of a prophecy to King Ahaz that was actually started back in Isaiah chapter 7. So Isaiah 7 all the way through Isaiah 12 has been one prophecy, maybe not all written at the same time or sat down and spoken by Isaiah at the same time, but it is one uh, message from God through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, uh, all the way through Isaiah uh, chapter 12. And you notice that verse 1 speaks about that day, and in that day you will say... And as we've gone through this prophecy the last several weeks, we know that he's talking about the day of the Lord, which is a a day of judgment initially. It's a a day of the uh, wrath of God poured out upon God's enemies in a Christ-rejecting world. The tribulation period is included in that day, the day of the Lord. And then, really, it goes into the millennial reign of Christ. Remember, for God, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. And so the day of the Lord is that thousand-year period of time that Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah, King Jesus, will be ruling from Israel over all the earth in that day. Uh, Chapter 11 speaks a lot about Jesus. In uh, verse 1, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So uh, we we looked at the tribulation period. We looked at first God judging Assyria, which was the imminent threat to Israel at the time, and then God looked toward the future, dealing with Uh, the tribulation period, the enemies of Israel, and then the uh, rod from the stem of Jesse, the branch, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the messianic reign and how the curse is going to be reversed uh, during that time. We read in Isaiah 11 verse 10, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. So it's speaking of that same day. The day of the Lord, the day when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over the earth. The root of Jesse, Jesse being the father of David, speaking about Jesus, the Messiah. And not only is he going to come and save Israel, uh, he is going to be the one that the Gentiles will seek after. And his resting place shall be glorious. In chapter 10, in verse 20, speaking of that day, we read, And it shall come to pass... Uh, in that day, that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. Again, speaking of the day of the Lord, when the Holy One of Israel in truth is going to be the Savior of Israel. And we know that this is speaking of Jesus. The Holy One of Israel is speaking of the Messiah, King Jesus, in that day. We read in Isaiah 10 verse 27, It shall come to pass in that day, that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder, his yoke from your neck, the yoke 
will be destroyed because of the anointing oil, speaking of the yoke of their enemies uh, upon them, specifically uh, uh, of Assyria there. But he's talking again uh, about the day, in that day, the day of the Lord. So again, in chapter 12 and verse 1, And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Now, the Bible says that God is angry every day with the sinful man, with the, the wicked. He's angry every day with wickedness. It's not God's will that people kill children and harm children and abort babies and uh, commit genocides around the world and all of these terrible things that happen uh, uh, in this world to, to cause people to suffer. It breaks God's heart. And so, uh, the Lord is, is angry with sin. He's angry with the wicked man every day. But eventually, uh, his anger is going to give way to comfort for his people. Even for his people Israel, who he was angry uh, about. They're going after other gods, of course. And so he says, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. Your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. In Psalm chapter 30, we read this. I'll read it to you. Psalm 30, verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord. This is a psalm of David. For you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his or holy ones. And give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life or for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That is such an encouragement to know that even when we sin, which we all sin because we're humans and we have a sin nature, we have to literally fight against our own human nature not to sin. It's a war. It's a battle every day. The flesh wars against the spirit. Galatians 5 said the spirit against the flesh. Uh, and so we're all sinners. And, and, and God uh, is angry with sin. And sometimes there's even consequences for our sin. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. Galatians chapter 6, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh destruction uh, or corruption. If you uh, reap, uh, sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit eternal life. And so there is a price to pay for sin. And, uh, and yet, uh, that judgment of God upon his people or the consequences of our actions coming back to us uh, is not the end of the story. The Lord comforts us. The Lord heals us. His anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that is, that is our God. He is so long-suffering with us. He's so patient with us. And if you think you're not a sinner, then I will tell you, you are guilty of the sin of pride to think you're not a sinner because you are a sinner. We're all sinners. And that makes us equal before God as, as the human race that are desperate before him for his salvation because we all deserve his wrath. There's none of us that are righteous. None of us are perfect people. There was only one perfect man, the God-man, and they put him on a cross and killed him. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. And yet God is patient. He is long-suffering. He is quick to forgive. He's quick to heal us. He's quick to put the pieces of our lives back together again that we could never uh, pick the pieces up and put the pieces of our lives together. Only God uh, can do this. And of course, we have to turn to him. And we have to cry out to him. And we have to humble ourselves. And we have to seek him. Uh, and, and he will be found by us. When we seek him, we will find him, the scriptures say. It's interesting that the Bible says that love is patient and love is kind and love suffers long in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we know that God is love. It's describing the character and the nature of God. God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no record of wrongs. God is long-suffering. He suffers long, suffers long with us. Uh, because uh, we, are, we are just a mess apart from him. In Matthew chapter 11, 
Jesus said this, Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who, are labor, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus' cry to all men, to, to all, all women. This is God's cry to the human race. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are burned out, who labor, who are tired, who are heavily burdened. He says, and I will give you rest. You know, we're all worn out by sin. Sin just wears us out. And sin is working against even our own bodies and, and the health of our own bodies. And one day this body will die. It will go back to the dust from which it came. But Jesus says, if you take my yoke upon you, you learn from me, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, you will find rest for your souls. And so the cry of Jesus to every human is to come to me and I will give you rest. The Bible tells us that the Lord comforts us. He sends us his Holy Spirit who is our comfort. He is a very present help for us, a real help for us in our time of need for the Christian, the Holy Spirit, who takes up residence within us when we trust in Christ, when we repent of our sins, we choose Christ as our Savior, and we're born again by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to take up residence within us. Uh, He is our comforter. He provides comfort to us uh, and peace that passes understanding. You'll see Christians whose worlds are falling apart, but you would never know it because the Lord is their strength. The Lord is helping them to endure. The Lord is sustaining them uh, and helping them and comforting them. And that's what he does for us as we surrender to him, as we turn our lives over to him and yield to him. He is our helper. He is our comforter. In him we have peace and in him we find rest. He continues in chapter 12 and verse 2 after he says, Your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. And this is actually like a psalm, really. I mean, if you read it, it's like a song that you could sing to God. It's, it's like one of the psalms, although it's not in the book of psalms. Isaiah wrote it uh, in, in Isaiah's um, uh, prophetic record here. But it is a song of praise. This is like a hymn. This whole uh, chapter here, chapter 12, it's beautiful. But he says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, Jehovah, or Yahweh, is my strength and my song, and he also has become my salvation. Now, it's interesting that uh, the Yah, or the Yahweh, is the tetragrammaton, which is the uh, Jehovah or the Yahweh of the Old Testament, the YHVH or the YHWH, the four consonants that make up the name Yahweh or Jehovah. The reason it's pronounced different ways is because we didn't have the vowels to know how to pronounce it. So the scholars have, you know, guesstimated and, and tried to uh, uh, think of what the word would be if you put the vowels in it. But the reason that Moses left the vowels out was because they didn't want anyone to blaspheme the name of God or take the name of the Lord in vain. So the Jews did not put the actual pronunciation of God's name, the name of God that was revealed to Moses in the book of Exodus at the burning bush where God said, uh, I am that I am, I am is the one who is sending you. That is my name, I am is my name, God told Moses. Uh, and, and the I am is the YHVH, the Yahweh or the Jehovah, the name that we get translated uh, into English. And really the I am of the burning bush uh, is, is the one who meets and satisfies our needs. Uh, he is our sustainer. He meets our needs. He is basically uh, whatever our need is. I am whatever your need is, God says. And if you know the Lord, you know that he's always there uh, to be your need, uh, to, to, to meet your need, and to be the one who meets your need and my need. And so here we're talking about 
Yeshua, we're talk, or, or Yahweh in the Old Testament. We're talking about Jehovah, the Yah, the Lord, uh, which is the Yahweh, is my strength and my song. We know in the New Testament that Jesus uh, is the I Am, and we know that Jesus is Jehovah's salvation, or the salvation of, of uh, Yahweh. His name, uh, Yeshua, in the Hebrew, which the English word would be Joshua, uh, it means Jehovah's salvation, or the salvation of Jehovah, the salvation of Yahweh. And so Jesus is God's salvation here in the flesh, personified. He is the tetragrammaton, the I am of the burning bush of Moses here in the flesh, uh, in person, when he was here uh, for his ministry upon the earth. It's interesting that the I am is not really defined for us in the burning bush. When God says, I am that I am, he doesn't say, I am what, or I am this, or I am that. He kind of leaves it open-ended that I am whatever your need is uh, in the book of Exodus. But Jesus kind of filled in the blanks for us when he was here on the earth. As a matter of fact, Jesus uh, said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Bread is the staple food that sustains all people. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John 8 and verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's the light of the world that's come into the darkness to show us the way to God. In John chapter 10 and verse 7, these are the seven great I am statements by Jesus in the book recorded for us in the Gospel of John. John chapter 10 and verse 7. Jesus says, I am the door uh, for the sheep. I'm the, I'm the door of the sheepfold. I'm the way to get in for the sheep to find pasture and to find rest. I'm the door. He said in John uh, 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. You read uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Jesus says, I am that shepherd of Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says in John chapter 11 and verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And so we, we see that, that this is the identity. This is the nature and the character and the characteristics of God are found in Jesus. In the Old Testament, it was a big mystery about the nature and the character of God. They were just kind of afraid of God. They didn't really know the Lord. They didn't know his love. Uh, and then God sent his only begotten son into the world to reveal God to man, that we would know God personally and we'd get to know who he is because he is so good to us. In John 14, 6, Jesus, of course, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And then in John 15, 1, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. So the seven great I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John tell us about this Yahweh or this Jehovah that Isaiah is talking about here, that Moses encountered at the burning bush uh, there in the book of Exodus. Behold, God, Elohim, is my salvation. Remember, Jesus' name is Yeshua's salvation or the salvation of Yeshua uh, or, or of uh, Yahweh, uh, Jesus' name means. God is my salvation, for I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. So as you look through the Old Testament, you see Jesus all over the Old Testament. Uh, he's just revealed to us in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he was still a mystery to them. Uh, but, you know, we, we find him in the Old Testament as we study through, especially through the book uh, of Isaiah. It's interesting that he says, For Yah the Lord, or Yahweh, is my strength and my song, and he also has become my salvation. There are many times where the Jews would sing that about God, that God is their strength and God is their song. Again, remember, this is like a psalm in the book of Isaiah. We read, for example, in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 2. This was the, the Moses and the children of Israel singing this song about the Lord after he uh, took them out of Egypt. He says, the Lord is my strength. And my song, Exodus 15, 2, and he also has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord, Jehovah, or Yahweh, is 
his name. So the Lord is my strength and my song. In Psalm 118, we read this about the Lord. Psalm 118 and verse 14. I'll read this to you. The psalmist says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my my salvation. Very similar to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 12. He says, The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. His anger will last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. For the child of God, if you are suffering or you're going through trials, um, it might be because of your own sin. It could be because of bad choices that you've made. Perhaps you uh, stole a car and took it on a joyride and, you know, you went to jail because of it and you're suffering. Well, that was because you broke the laws and you got caught. So sometimes when we suffer, it's as a result of our own uh, wickedness or sin or bad choices. Um, you know, sometimes we just suffer because other people are wicked and other people are mean and cruel. And Jesus says in this world, uh, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So it could be nothing that you did. It's just because you're a Christian and uh, people don't like you because you're a Christian. And that happens sometimes too. Uh, but regardless, there could just be uh, just uh, consequences of somebody else's actions. Or maybe there's an earthquake and it's nobody's fault. Uh, and you're suffering as a result of uh, a natural disaster or some sickness or disease uh, that is common to all of us. Either way, when the Lord uh, allows us to suffer, uh, it's not the end of the story. He's there with us in our suffering, even if it's our fault. If we turn to him, he will again pick the pieces of our lives back up and put our lives back together again. Uh, this world is not all there is. Uh, we are living for the world that is to come, the life that comes after this life, the true life in heaven. And so even if you don't get all of your uh, things in your life put back together in this world, uh, and you, you know, think about the people who die in war, die in, died in the concentration camps in the Holocaust, or what have you. Uh, for those who are trusting in Christ, this life is not all that there is. And in heaven, we will receive our reward, and we will be comforted, even if we never receive that here in this life. Oftentimes, the Lord chastens us as his people. He disciplines us, Hebrews tells us, because we're his sons, we're his daughters. And if we were not his children, he would not discipline us, God says. He doesn't discipline those who are not his own kids. But if you are a son or a daughter of God, you should expect that God loves you enough that he's going to chastise you, he's going to chasten you when you begin to stray, when you begin to go off into things that God says are bad for you or things that are going to be harmful to you or to others. But again, it's all because he loves us and because he's trying to save us, he's trying to help us and to keep us on that straight and narrow path which leads to life. In Psalm chapter 62 and verse 1, David the psalmist said this, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they inwardly curse." Verse 5, my soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And so the Lord is our rock. He is our hiding place. He is our salvation. He is our defense. 
and he gives us the strength that we need to endure the trials that we experience that are common to all men. He continues in verse 3, Isaiah 12, 3. He says, Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And it's so interesting that all of these, you know, all of these promises are fulfilled in Christ. And we know it from the New Testament. But, uh, of course, it's speaking about the day of the Lord. It's speaking about the time when Jesus is going to have his rightful place. Uh, the, the root and the offspring uh, of Jesse that will be, Jesus will be here on the earth, ruling and reigning over the earth uh, at that time. And then he says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, the Jewish people uh, in the book of Jeremiah were rebuked by God and by the prophet for trusting in broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We read in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 11, the prophet says, Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water." And so the Lord wants to give us water, living water, uh, that will fulfill us, that will satisfy us, that will nourish us, that will quench our thirst. And he's not talking about the physical thirst. He's talking about the spiritual thirst that is common for every man. But he says, my people, they forsook me, the fountain of living waters. I wanted to give them living waters to refresh them and to quench their thirst all the time. But they turned their back on me. They have forsaken me. And they've carved out for themselves or hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so only God can satisfy the deepest longings and desires of our heart. If you try and find your fulfillment uh, by just seeking after whatever this world has to offer, you're going to be disappointed. This world will disappoint, whether it's in love or whether it's in your job, whether it's in your education, whether it's in your family, your home, your money, your bank account, your 401k plan, your RV trailer where you drive all over the country and visit all of the national parks. Whatever it is, at the end, the vacation ends and you're right back where you started. And, you know, if you were unhappy before you went on vacation, you're going to be unhappy when you get back. You may even be depressed when you get back from vacation because your vacation's over. You have to go back to work. Nothing in this world will satisfy. Nothing in this world will satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts and our souls, which is the Lord. Only Jesus can satisfy us with his living water. In Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3, Solomon said this in verse 11. Well, I'll read verses 9 through 11. He said, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity or placed eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. But here is where we're told that God has created a void within the heart of every man, a God-shaped void that only God can fill. So people try and fill that desire or that void with all kinds of things, whether it's love, whether it's romance, whether it's money, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whatever it is that people go after, thinking it's going to satisfy them, in the end, uh, it, is, it is not going to fully satisfy. No matter what it is in this world, only God can fill that void because God has placed eternity within the hearts of man. That's why man is always seeking more. Man is never satisfied. Man always thinks if I just had this, I will then be happy. And then they get it and they're still not happy. Only God can satisfy us. Only God can fill that void within the heart 
of every single person that he's created. He made us to need him. And if we don't have him, we are going to be missing out on that which satisfies. The only person that can satisfy us, the only relationship that can satisfy us is a relationship with our creator. That's how he made us. In Isaiah 55, speaking of the living waters that uh, Isaiah was talking about in chapter 12, Isaiah 55 verse 1 says this, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David, indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. This is speaking of the son of David, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This is the living water that was promised to God's people, speaking of the Messiah who is to come to give us the living water, the person of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. The fully satisfying uh, relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. He says, seek the Lord, Isaiah 55, 6, while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And so the Lord uh, came to us. Jesus came. He came in the flesh and he came to reveal God to us and he came to give us that living water that will satisfy the longings of our heart and of our souls. In John chapter 4, the gospel of John, you remember Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And the woman at the well had been uh, married five times or maybe married, uh, had five husbands and the guy she was with now was not her husband. So maybe she was actually in her sixth relationship but never bothered to marry this guy. And so obviously she was uh, trying to find her identity in a, in a romantic relationship. She was trying to find her satisfaction uh, in, a, in a, a relationship, a marriage relationship or a romantic relationship or quote unquote a love relationship. And obviously uh, she was not satisfied after having five husbands and not marrying the sixth one, she was still not satisfied. And, and because the things of this world cannot satisfy us, only God can. And Jesus said this to her in John chapter 4 and verse 10, speaking of the, the well, and she was there to get water, to draw water from this well, and Jesus was there and ministering to her. He said, if you knew the gift of God, John chapter 4 verse 10, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so the wells of this world cannot satisfy Again, whether it's romantic love or whether it's some idea that you have that if I just had this, I would then be satisfied. The answer is no. You would still need something more. Even the most wealthy people are never satisfied with the amount of money they have. If they have a billion, they want two billion. If they have 10 billion, they want 20 billion. If they have 100 billion, they want 200 billion. It's never enough. 
People want one more dollar. John Rockefeller was a multi-billionaire, the founder of Standard Oil, and a reporter asked him and said, you know, how much more do you need, John, to be happy? And he said, one more dollar. One more dollar. Richest man in the world at the time, founder of Standard Oil. Uh, and, and it wasn't enough, you see. Because if you're going after the things of this world, they will never satisfy. They don't have the potential. They don't have the ability to satisfy the deepest longing of the heart, which is a, a relationship and fellowship with our creator. That's what Jesus comes to offer, this living water that he's speaking of to the woman at the well. Jesus says this in John 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so Jesus again cries out just like he did in Matthew chapter 11 for anyone who is weary and, 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 and burdened and heavy laden and looking for rest. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Here Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And we're told here by John who Jesus was speaking of. He was speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who takes up residence within us as his people. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence within us to be our seal, uh, to be our down payment or our promise of heaven that the Holy Spirit uh, is our living water. He comes in and fills us and satisfies our every need that we could ever have. In Revelation and chapter 7, we read this in verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them they shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is speaking of the souls who came out of the great tribulation that were clothed in white. Uh, those uh, tribulation saints who refuse to take the mark of the beast and they're killed by the Antichrist is who he's speaking of specifically here in Revelation chapter 7. But it's interesting that he's talking about that it's, it's going to be like living waters. Uh, they're not going to be thirsty anymore. Their thirst will be quenched. He says it's going to lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So when we get to heaven, you know, everything is going to be well. Everything is going to be perfect. Everything is going to be good. And, and there will be no more needs. There'll be no more wants. All of our wants and needs will be found in Jesus, in the Lamb, and will be satisfied forever and ever. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 21, speaking of the new heaven and the new earth, all things being made new, Revelation 21, verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts he whoever overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son our greatest need is to be restored to God that's our greatest need of, of, of mankind is to have harmony with God forgiveness salvation and peace with God and so at this point he says I'm going to give them the fountain of the water of life freely for those who Thirst, And then in Revelation 22, verse 17, we read this. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The bride is the bride of Christ, the church. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life 
freely. And so for us now as Christians, we experience that water of life through the person of the Holy Spirit as we yield to God and as we put God first, uh, the Lord uh, fills us and satisfies us and, and our hearts are full with him. If you try and find satisfaction in anyone or anything else in this world, you will be dissatisfied because nothing else and no one else can satisfy the deepest longing of the heart of man. Only God, only the maker, the creator. And back in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4, in that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. So in that day when Jesus is ruling and reigning over the earth and the millennial kingdom has come and the wolf is lying down uh, with the lamb and uh, the lion eats uh, straw like the ox and the little child leads them and the children play by the uh, snake, the asp's pit or, or, or den, at that time, uh, he says, praise the Lord in that day, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. And we know the name uh, of God in the flesh is Yeshua, Jesus Christ. So we exalt the name of Jesus. We honor his name. We lift up his name. We praise the Lord and we declare his deeds among the people. The psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And it's interesting that as you put on praise music, as you begin to sing praises to the Lord, it seems like all of the other things just kind of fade to black. You know, when, when, when you're under attack in your mind or in your heart or you're stressed out or you're burdened and you just turn on, you know, worship music and you just start singing to the Lord, it's like God just comes right there wherever you are in your home or in your car for someone who's locked up in a prison cell. If they just begin to praise the Lord, it's like the whole environment changes and the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And so we have so much to thank God for and to, and to declare his wonderful deeds, even the deeds of saving a wretch like me, saving a sinner like you. We should proclaim this uh, to the peoples, mention that his name, the name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, is exalted. He says in verse 5, Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things, and this is known in all the earth. And so we are commanded to sing to the Lord, to sing praises to him. In Psalms chapter 63, Psalm chapter 63, I'll read this to you. The psalmist declares this, Psalm 63 and verse 1. Another psalm of David here. O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. David would later say, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can experience the goodness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. The sanctuary would be uh, the church today, the, the house of God. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you and your right hand upholds me. What a beautiful, beautiful psalm. You know, um, oftentimes when people are on their deathbed, and I've been there many, many times. When people are on their deathbed, they want their pastor to be there. Uh, sometimes the person is awake. Sometimes they're asleep or they're heavily medicated and they're kind of uh, unaware uh, of what's going on. But I will, I will often read the Psalms to someone who's dying or in, in a hospital room. And it's amazing how uh, they perk up and how they sometimes even wake up when they hear the Psalms. Uh, it, just, it just lifts up your spirit. It just makes you get closer to God. The Psalms are so beautiful and such an encouragement to us. I encourage you, read the Psalms, study the Psalms. I actually started reading 
five chapters of the Psalms in addition to one chapter of the book of Proverbs. I've been reading the book of Proverbs every day for probably 25 years, pretty much since I got saved. Uh, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. So you just read whatever the day of the week is on the calendar. If it's the first, you read Proverbs 1. If it's the 15th, you read Proverbs 15. If it's the 31st, you read Proverbs 31, and then you start all over again the next month. I thought I was so clever. I wanted to start to read through Psalms in that way. So I thought I'm going to read five chapters of the Psalms every day, which is real tough when you get to Psalm 119. I'll just warn you. But uh, <laughs> sometimes I skip over part of Psalm 119. I'm being honest here. But, uh, but you read five chapters of the book of Psalms along with one chapter of the book of Proverbs, and you'll read through the book of Psalms Every month, just like you read through the book of Proverbs every month, because there's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. And it's, uh, it's such an encouragement to me. Well, I thought I was original in figuring that out until I read a book by Billy Graham. And he said that he started doing that when he was a young man, reading the Psalms five chapters a day in the book of Proverbs. Uh, but I encourage you, get into the Psalms. The Psalms are such an encouragement to our soul, to our, to our spirit. He continues in verse... Five, he says, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion or Jerusalem, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. And at that time, the Holy One of Israel, Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be there with God's people, the Jews, ruling and reigning over all the earth. And so uh, right now we have Jesus in our midst through the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and one with Jesus Christ the Son, the triunity of God, one God, three persons. And so we have uh, the Holy One of Israel dwelling within us now through the person of the Holy Spirit. Physically, Jesus will be ruling and reigning then at that time over Israel and over all the earth. We read one final scripture in Psalms. Psalm 65, verse 1 says this. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. And Jesus, of course, atoned for our transgressions on the cross of Calvary. He says, blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach you that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us. O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples, they also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make your outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. And so blessed is the man uh, who God chooses to come to him and to approach him, that he may dwell with him in his courts. And then we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and of your holy temple. You know, the interesting thing is the Bible tells us that we are now the temple of God. We're the temple of God. The temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in 70 AD, not uh, been rebuilt yet. So the temple of God now is your body. If you're a child of God, if you're born again, from above, and you are a Christian, you are now the temple of God. And as God's presence dwelt within the Holy of Holies of the temple, is Shekinah glory, his spirit was there all the time in the temple, uh, in the Holy of Holies, so too now the spirit of God dwells within our temple, within our body. And if our body is the temple and we are bought with a price and we belong to him, then wherever you go, whatever you do, you take God with you. If you go into a dirty movie, you take God into that dirty movie with you. If you go drink a fifth of vodka and get blasted out of your mind or smoke a pound of marijuana or whatever people do, you know, just think about it. If you're a Christian, you're taking God with you into those places, uh, and, it, and it really should be a warning to us that we would not dare want to take God's Spirit uh, into a place that is unholy, for He is holy. We certainly do not want to grieve 
the Holy Spirit of God by doing things uh, that, that we know are not right. But again, God is so patient with us. He's so merciful to us. He's so long-suffering. He is our salvation, and uh, we just rejoice in our salvation today. And again, Pastor Bob is going to be here on Friday night to talk about salvation and to show you and teach you how you can know that you're saved and how you can become uh, a saved man or a saved woman by trusting uh, in Jesus Christ. Told you we're going to get done a little bit early tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. And Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to reveal who you are to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come into this corrupt and fallen world, even knowing what man would do to you by spitting upon you and cursing you and rejecting you and uh, nailing you to a cross. You came anyways, Jesus. You came because you loved us so much. You wanted to save us. Thank you, Father, that you loved the world so much that you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we thank you for your precious Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, the fountain of living waters that you gave us to dwell within our hearts, Lord, that we would always find satisfaction in you. We know, Lord, that the broken cisterns of this world cannot hold water and cannot satisfy only you can truly satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from un unrighteousness, Lord, and help us, Lord, to stay steadfastly seeking you and serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at coah podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.